the world's most advanced color correction tool for Mac just got more powerful. DaVinci Resolve 8 from Blackmagic Design. With XML import, export, multi-layer timelines, curve grading, noise reduction, stabilization, 3D alignment, OpenCL, and more. DaVinci Resolve 8 is available from $995. Current users can download the update for free. And try DaVinci Resolve Lite, a reduced featured version that's still packed with power. Visit www.blackmagic-design.com What, in addition to the right equipment, does it take for the job of film editing? Welcome to The Cutting Room, I'm your host Gordon Burkell, and we've got a lot to talk about today. First things first, we're going to be playing another part of our interview with Jeffrey Wolf. And in this particular episode, we're going to be discussing Jeffrey Wolf's work in comedy. So he's done some of the top comedies with John Waters, which we talk about, as well as The Ref, as well as Billy Madison, and so much more. So we're going to focus on that. What I want you to do is, if you have any comedy techniques or ideas that you think we should know, tell us on Facebook. Go to facebook.com slash artguillotine and uh, let us know. Or you can tell us on Twitter twitter.com slash artguillotine. Now, there's so much more we have to talk about today before we get into this interview. First things first, where was I last week? I promised you two episodes last week and I didn't deliver. Well, that's there's a very good reason. You'll notice Lauren's not here. Last week was our anniversary and I surprised her by taking her to Motown, which I highly recommend. If you're into music and you want a good time, go to Motown because it was a blast. Also, try and get Eric as your tour guide he was amazing. That aside, we also have our mobile apps up. We got, so we've mostly, I would say for the most part, we've got about five or six reviews and they're all glowing reviews except for one which gave us a bad review. And Apple doesn't allow us to respond to these reviews and the review just tells us that it's crap and it crashes. So we couldn't ask that particular person what iOS they were working on. So if you were the person and you're upset because it's crashed, send us an email, info at aotg.com. Let us know because we want to make this the best app possible for editors. With that said, if you haven't downloaded it yet for your Apple device or your Android device, download it and try and break it for us because we're, we're looking for to fix it. Now keep in mind, it is just myself and Richard coding, so it might take us a bit to update certain elements, but we're always trying to improve things on the site. That said, email system's up and running. It's quite popular. We've had a huge amount of people sign up. Sign up. Go to AOTG.com. You'll see if you sign up today, before today ends, you could be entered to win cut notes from Digital Rebellion. One last thing before we jump into our interview with Jeff Wolf, make sure that you listen to that post show. I've been on that post show, so is Norman Holland, so it is so many other people. Check it out, listen to it, go on iTunes, rate it, rate ours, and let people know what you think, okay? All right, with all that said, I've gotten everything out of the way, now let's hear Jeff Wolf talk about comedy. In a uh, comedic scene, or movie, there's timing that the actors or the comedians deliver. If they have great timing, then the joke should come across to the audience. These moments may have dreams of timing though, so if the director is doing something 
the DP's got a particular way of shooting it. If they're not all working together, how would you approach the scene so that you can get the comedic timing back or get it to work? That question's a little tricky because when things aren't done with multicam, yeah. they'll do it many times. So there's a lot of different options on how to do it. You had one question about rules. You know, I only have one rule and that's there are no rules, you know. I mean, they're just, you can't, you just have comedic experience, I think is, is more the rule. I mean, when I was a kid, I used to collect jokes, you know, and be able to sort of tell about any subject. You mentioned a subject, I could tell a joke about it. And it was, I think I wanted to be a frustrated stand-up comic, but it was too frustrating to get over the anxiety of what that, of what that is. And so in editing, you get to kind of craft it. But, I mean, you approach jokes 20 different ways. And, and if it's not funny, you set it up, you leave a hole for the joke, and then that, you take, go to the screening and that doesn't play. So you like create a different structure for it. And I think laughter, sometimes you laugh at something yourself. I had a screening last night where it, the film is sort of a, a mix between, you know, probably between 25 and 45. And the audience was filled pretty much with those kinds of people. And I knew some of the older ones in the audience. And so I could hear their laughs. And they were laughing at the things that I always laugh at when I watch the film. But other people maybe didn't laugh quite as hard. It's just sort of styles. People are brought up with different kinds of comic styles. You kind of have to do a little bit for everyone and kind of find that, that medium ground. You know. I mean, what I, I thought it was interesting, a movie like American Pie was the first sort of crossover comedy for me that a kid could really find funny and a, and a grown-up could really find funny. So, you know, I take that that it kind of comes out of circumstances and the best humor should be universal humor. Not, you know, but if you put a fart in, it's always going to get a laugh, you know? Yeah. So. <laughs> when a movie has a rapid-fire humor or rapid-fire joke delivery and jokes are lined up, how do you go about timing your cut or approaching your cut so the audience don't lose the multiple jokes? Do you have a, an example of something you were thinking of when you I, thought of I it? was thinking of the ref, because mm -hmm. there's a few times where they deliver multiple, but I feel that the sense of humor in that wouldn't be, like there's moments that are really big laughs, but then it's more of a, yeah, a I mean, drama. I could, on the ref, I can think of a situation like when he's on the phone mm -hmm. with his sidekick, and he, you know, there's a, but that's like... It's, I'm thinking more probably something like Billy Madison where there's these sort of big right. um, jokes that are constantly set up and executed, set up and executed. Well, the, all I can say is that on, on something like Billy Madison, like the study scene when he comes down, he says the soccer, you know, like when, when Bradley Whitford and he are sort of up against each other in the beginning of the movie trying to figure out and they're, they're throwing things back and forth to each other. The, one of the rules that we kind of used in that movie is we didn't overlap very much. We kind of kept the jokes on camera as, as much as we can so that this, the, the time, the spacing would kind of be in the cut as opposed to running on all the time. So, the, so I guess that's one example. Ted, Ted Demi was very much somebody who, it, it, you probably haven't seen this, but in a movie like Who's the Man, there was a lot of like, what, 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 kind of back and forth things. and. And you couldn't cut it tight enough. I mean, you almost had to overlap one person saying, you know, like, it was, it was interesting in that regard. But, um, yeah, uh, I would say the best thing I can think of is that, um, that you want to keep the character who's speaking on camera as much as you can. Or, if they're off camera, clean, 
you know, sort of a clean cut. In comedy, there's, there needs to be a balance between character development, plot development, uh, and other elements that need to be played out in a more serious tone. How do you approach these emotional shifts uh, to help ease the audience from one moment to the next uh, emotionally? When you're dealing, I, I do a lot of movies that are dark comedies, and so they tend to be, and, and I haven't really talked about this new movie that's coming out next month uh, called Bachelorette, which is the darkest of dark comedies that I've ever worked on, actually. And the thing about dark comedies, they tend to be front-loaded and that they're funnier in the first half, but if there's any kind of a dramatic arc to it, they automatically get less funny in the third act when you're trying to resolve all the plot points and kind of get. And so you invariably get notes from producers that either the movie's too serious, like that we're going through this now, it's really funny, is that we, we showed a first cut, the, the, the producer said, oh, the story really works great, and the you know, the arc is there, and we have empathy for the character, but there's not enough comedy. So now two weeks later, we show the movie again, we've punched up the comedy, and he says, oh, you know, I feel like the movie's too funny, you know, and that we, maybe we're losing some of the drama in the characters. Well, a movie can never be too funny. <laughs> Yeah. As far as I'm concerned. I mean, that's the best problem you could ever have if yeah. somebody thinks a movie is too funny. And I scratch my head about it, but, but sometimes you'll get these notes like um, William Goldman in his book uh, Adventures in the Screen Trade. He talks about like showing up in a, in a producer's suite with his, because his, the producer says he has some ideas about the movie. And he shows up and he takes out a pencil and a pad and he sits down, which he says is the most intimidating thing to any producer. And so he says, okay, I'm ready. And the producer says, just make it 10% funnier, you know? Yeah. So, <laughs> you know, if, if, if there's a way of um, doing that, it's, it's great. So I do think that people get, it's not so much that they, um, they just want to know what the intention is. And so if you kind of go down a path, it goes back to the truthfulness thing again. If you go down a path, you have to continue down a path for the audience to stay with you. And I think if you stay, if you're on a true path and the writing is there, you should be able to keep the audience interested. So how do you, I don't mean, how do you physically do that? I mean, I'm a big believer in screening. I, mm -hmm. I like to screen once a week. Okay, wow, that's... And sometimes now with flat like, screens and yeah. avid, you yeah. know, you can have a 11 person screening in your mm -hmm. editing room and, and get a lot out of it. Where we're working right now, the Avid is tied into the screening room. That's so perfect. we don't have to spend that 14, 16 hours beforehand mixing down and creating Blu-ray DVDs. Yeah. We can come right off the Avid onto the, the screen. And so I think particularly in comedies, you just have to screen the heck out of it. And, you know, Woody Allen used to throw jokes out if people didn't laugh every time they, they saw it. I don't know if, if I'm that extreme, but, yeah. but I do think it, it shows you what's working and if it's not working you either have to make it work or throw it away now um to jump to a, a dirty shame it has a very unique and satiric sense of humor what implications did this have when you were cutting because you were saying that no matter how you cut john waters film it just it's a john waters right. film so i guess when you're approaching this film it's a very unique sense of humor with yeah well beside everything else in a dirty shame i mean you know, it's funny because Andy Weissblum and I were just on a panel together. He was my assistant on that film. And we were on a panel and he was talking about um, Black Swan and about how 
he worked on some of the images in the discotheque scene where where she's kind of flipping out on drugs and things like that. And um, he referenced back to all these clips that we were digging up and finding for A Dirty Shame to kind of interject. John is a great student of avant-garde film, and he has these heroes that he respects. And I mean, he's not even saying that he's a protege of theirs. He's just saying they influence his life. And so, you know, this idea that whenever the character got hit on the head, that she would have these visions of different things. So we were sort of left to our own devices. He said, here's 20 cents, go out and get as many. Uh, <laughs> there wasn't a big budget, but go out yeah. and get as many of these images as you can. And we just scoured DVDs and internet. Yeah. And, um, and we built these three minute units that could kind of inter be interchanged in all these different places. So that's one. And then two is that, you know, he doesn't have his idea of special effects is very sort of simplistic and so you know like the rock the shit yeah. falling out of the sky anybody else you would think that oh you can't do it that way it's corny or whatever but but it works it works yeah. and then johnny knoxville getting shot up at the end that was um and i mean that was actually an expensive optical that they made animatics for and did a lot of work on to make it work so to speak. And it was funny, um, it was distributed by New Line and Bob Shea said, I'll pay $10,000 to see that. <laughs> what was your working relationship with John Waters? Because was he more standoffish and just letting it? Yeah, um, John is like the most respectful patrician guy you've ever met. I mean, <laughs> you, I know you kind of think of him as the, the Barker in the freak show, but he, you know, he comes from a family of, um, really Catholic people in, in Baltimore and his uncle was Secretary of the Navy and I mean he has this really patrician mm -hmm. background. So he would come in like an audience, you know, he, he just wanted to be entertained and he had a lot of uh, respect for the, for the process and we didn't even have to screen it that often. I mean it was kind of like when it, that movie was, again, it was, it was what it was. We just had to sort of put all the pieces together in the right way. To make it works. He was a lot of fun to be with though. He's the greatest storyteller of all time. Yeah, well he, he did something on like a one-man show where he did stories and it was just... Yeah, I mean it's funny part of this I was never somebody who liked to go out and do an interview especially like this you know like the only people who really like hearing about editing is editors as far as I can tell but he said to me one day years ago if you can just come up with a great speech about editing you'll work all the time you'll work all the time so I started getting involved in EditFest so that I could sort of practice those routines. Yeah. This film had some issues with the MPAA, um, A Dirty Shame. Did this have any effect on your cutting? Did you do any recutting? Did you try to tamper it down a bit or did you... No, in fact, again, I forgot all about that. John actually went to the MPA with a movie like A Dirty Shame yeah. and got four out of the seven people to, to vote in favor of making it an R. And his argument was <clears throat> that he's a voice for disenfranchised youth that would never get to see a movie like this. And he functions as somewhat of a lifeline for them. Yeah. And by, by making it X or NC or NR, whatever that is, NR, not rated, by doing that, it keeps that group disenfranchised even further. And he actually convinced quite a few people, but still got the... 
Yeah, it's, the, but it's yeah. better than... Yeah, and yeah. we didn't tone it down because once we got the NR, we didn't tone it down. So that was my interview with Jeff Wolf. Now, remember, if you have ideas for comedy, post them on our Facebook fan page, facebook.com slash You can also put them on our Twitter account. Just tweet to us, hashtag AOTG comedy. Okay. All that said, I'm hoping to get another episode out later this week, probably Friday, because I have a bit more time. We have tons of stuff coming out. It's so much stuff that we went to go write the press releases, and, well, we couldn't really... We didn't want to release them all because we didn't think people would take us seriously, because we had about five or six press releases to release. Okay, so there's some cool toys coming in... In December, January. One thing to look at, if you're on AOTG.com, you'll notice we've added a tag cloud. The tag cloud, although lots of web pages have it, it allows us now to sort of gauge what's popular. Because we have everyone submitting content, from Avid to Adobe to random people on the street to everyone, we can now sort of gauge what's popular. And what's interesting, if you, if you look at the tag cloud, when it started about a week ago, Final Cut Pro X was huge on it very big but in the last week adobe and premiere pro have just exploded and they're now just as big if not bigger but the cool one the one that i like is film editor so if you click on the film editor cloud tag then you get pulled to all the interviews of all the film editors and that one's becoming huge so check it out go to aotg.com it's on the right hand side scroll down a bit and you'll see it well that's my time Hopefully I'll drag Lauren away from work and get her to uh, give us give us some laughter because I'm not as funny as she is. We all know that. And yeah, hopefully she'll make things a little more exciting for you guys next time. So hopefully Friday we'll have another episode up. And in the meantime, have a good week.